Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Holiness, holiness. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I just want you to know, and I needed that worship today. I needed that in a big way. There is power in worship. Um, there's also power in community. You know, I sang those songs this week. Um, I knew what songs were coming up. I was looking them over. I was reading through the lyrics, and I was singing these songs out, and, and they hit me during the week, but they hit different when I'm surrounded by other believers who are proclaiming it loudly, just like you did. Man, um, that filled me up, and that energized me, and that's what church is all about. We're coming to a place where we can praise the name of Jesus together, and God moves in that. I'm excited about that. You can clap. That's all right. Such a good Sunday, such a good Sunday. Hey, listen, we're gonna look at scripture today and through scripture, God is gonna move in a powerful way as well. He's gonna keep this going. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 45. Uh, This is actually your memory verse from the Core 52 material. So if you're following along with us in that, this will look familiar to you, but it says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. You see, in this single verse, we learn some powerful things about holiness. You see, we learn first and foremost that holiness is a characteristic of God, but we also learn that it is an expectation from God. You see, we have a goal as believers, and that's to experience more of his holiness, but also to strive for more holiness in our own lives. Man, I remember singing about this when I was a teenager in the youth group. Any, any 90s youth group kids in here right now? Anybody? Some of y'all are looking at me like 90s. Are you see? Yeah, that's when I was in the youth group, okay? And there's a few of y'all that were here. And I remember we used to sing a song and, and it went like this, that holy, no, I can't remember. We just sang a bunch of holy songs. Here we go. Is it holiness? Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. It's such a powerful, powerful song. And I can remember walking into youth group and and they were singing this song and man, people had their arms raised up high and there were tears, like teenagers crying their eyes out singing this song. And and I wanted a piece of that. And so I walked in, I put my hands up and nothing happened, you know? I couldn't get to that emotional place. I couldn't get to that place where I was experiencing what everybody else seemed to be experiencing and I figured out why. You see, the reason I couldn't get there is because I had no stinking idea what I was singing. I didn't know what holiness meant. It sounded good. You know, the song made a lot of um, important comments throughout it that I understood, but that idea of holiness, I just, I wasn't quite there and I didn't understand it at that point. Now listen, you are probably a lot smarter than I was, probably a lot smarter than I am, but today what I wanna do is I wanna unpack this idea of holiness because what I want is when we sing that word at the end of the service, when we sing another song, Jesus, I need you talking about his holiness, I want you to proclaim it with all your heart, not because it sounds good, not because it makes your insides jump up and down, but because you believe it with your whole heart and you're proclaiming the holy name of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this word. At its root, the word holy means something that has been set apart and cleansed for a purpose. That's it. It's something that has been set apart and cleansed for a purpose. The Bible uses this word to describe a lot of things in the Bible. You see, it uses this word to describe the temple 
the priests, the anointing oil, the sanctuary utensils, animal sacrifices, and more. You see, all of these different things, they're ordinary things, but God sets them apart and he purifies them. He cleanses them for his own purposes. Listen, we do something similar all the time. Take a toothbrush, for example, okay? A toothbrush has tons of uses. You could do so many different things with a toothbrush. I was using mine this week. I was cleaning out the vents of my car because it was filthy. You could do lots of things with a toothbrush. But once you put it in your mouth, it becomes holy and set apart, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you become very protective of that toothbrush being used for any other purposes at all. Imagine if I sent you on your phone um, one of these three pictures uh, sometime this week with your toothbrush, okay? Scrubbing the boots, okay, making them look nice. What about this next one? Yeah, the tire rims, okay, making those look nice with a toothbrush. What about this last one? Yeah, it's okay though, don't worry, that's my wife's toothbrush and I put it back when I was done with it, so... Don't worry about it at all. Listen, holiness happens when we do that, when we, when we take ordinary things or when God takes ordinary things, ordinary people, ordinary places, and he sets them apart. He says, that's mine and I'm gonna use it for my purposes. Let me give you my sermon in a sentence today. It's this, we are God's toothbrush. We are God's toothbrush. Listen, it may not sound particularly spiritual or deep, but there is so much power in that truth. And so today we're gonna unpack this idea of holiness, this idea of being set apart and cleansed by God for his purposes so that we can proclaim I am God's toothbrush and I'm excited about what that means. If you got your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six. I want you to know when I start preparing for a message, I pull so many different scriptures together that I could use to talk about the subject. And, and I brought probably 40 different passages together that I could, I could talk about, that we could unpack this idea of holiness. I even ask our elders to pray because I was just overwhelmed with what to talk about um, from this perspective of holiness. And, and Isaiah chapter six is one that God just kept placing on my heart over and over and over again. And I think it's gonna say exactly what you need it to say to transform your heart and bring you closer to him as well. This passage was written by the prophet Isaiah. It was during a period of political turmoil and general unrest, which means this. It means that in the midst of chaos, Isaiah didn't turn to all the distractions that were around him. He turned to God and he experienced his power in a very real way. You see, Isaiah had a vision of God and in that vision, he recorded things so that you and I could experience something similar to what Isaiah experienced. This is him describing that vision starting in verse six, uh, or chapter six, verse one. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which means angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Listen, what this passage means, okay? Anybody wanna come describe this passage after reading that, okay? That's how I felt when God said, that's the chapter that I want you to preach on this week. But in this passage, the first thing I notice is that King Uzziah has died. And in that moment of political unrest, Isaiah doesn't turn his attention to Uzziah's political successor to find strength and comfort. He turns his attention to God because he recognizes that God sits on a throne over a kingdom that's going to last for eternity. 
He's seated on the throne when things are going great. He's seated on the throne when things are hard. God is never surprised. He is never overwhelmed. He is never taken off guard. He is a dependable source of strength in each and every season. Man, that's a powerful place to begin this story. And that's a powerful truth for us to stamp on our lives and live by. Listen, the angels, they recognize this. This isn't news to them. They understand this. And that's why they're gathered in the presence of God. They're using their wings, two of them to cover up their face out of reverence because they are not pure enough to look at God. Then they cover their feet with two wings because out of humility they say, my feet don't even deserve to be in your presence. You shouldn't have to look at the uncleanness of my feet. And then they cry out with their mouths, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, in the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. To say that God is holy says something. To say that he's holy, holy says something even more. But to say that he is holy, holy, holy declares that he is holy in the highest possible degree. He is set apart from creation. He's not just smarter, stronger, older, or better than mankind. He is altogether different. He's on a different level. His love is holy love. His wisdom is holy wisdom and his power is holy power. You see, holiness is not just an aspect of God's personality. It is his entire being. You see, the Bible never describes anything else to God in this way. It never says that God is love, love, love. It never says that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. There's something altogether unique, special, and powerful about what these angels are crying out and declaring that God is holy, holy, holy. Listen, Isaiah watches this scene. And as it unfolds in front of him, he, he reacts by being overwhelmed in the presence of God. This is what it says in verse four and verse five. At the sound of their voices, that's the angels' voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Listen, the power of God's holiness causes Isaiah to declare himself and everybody he knows unworthy. Have you ever gotten in trouble before and you started ratting out all your friends that were with you? Okay. It's kind of how I feel listening to this. Isaiah stands in front of God. He says, I'm guilty, but not just me. Everybody else is guilty as well. There's power in God's holiness. This isn't the only time we see it. If, if you look in the book of Exodus, you see that Moses cried out to God. He said, God, let me see your physical presence. And God declares, he says, nobody can see my face and live. In 2 Samuel, a man named Uzzah makes contact with the Ark of the Covenant. And the power, the danger, the threat posed by the holiness of the Ark, which came from the power of God, resulted in his immediate death. In the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, and, and it was thought to be so filled with danger that only one person, the high priest, was able to go in, and even he was only able to go in once a year, and after extensive purifying rituals to make him able to stand in the presence of God. Even in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, they die as a result of an affront to the holiness of God by their deceit. Listen, if you're impure, God's presence is dangerous. But Isaiah doesn't need to be told that. 
is he doesn't need a Bible verse or a text to prove that point. He's standing in the presence of God and he falls down to his face because he recognizes that he is overwhelmed by his own depravity, by God's holiness. He is undone, he is ruined, he is coming apart at the seams. Isaiah was a man of integrity. Isaiah was a man that most people in that time period would have said he's the most righteous person we know. But even this man was falling apart in the presence of God. Listen, the first thing we need to understand from this passage, from Isaiah's experience, is this. It's that holiness convicts. Holiness convicts. Standing in the presence of God's holiness will make us wholly aware of our own depravity. Listen, we like to compare ourselves to other people, don't we? It's really easy for us to look around and say, hey, I have more money than so-and-so. I have a a nicer car than so-and-so. Maybe I have a better job. I'm smarter than so-and-so. But we do the same thing with religious stuff, don't we? You see, we look around and we say, I've got more holiness. I have more religious purity. I have more faith and more spiritual worth than some of the people in my life, some of the people even in my church. But get this, others are not the standard God is. And when we put ourselves in his presence, we are ruined by our own inadequacy. His presence reveals our brokenness. Let me tell you something. We are fortunate that God doesn't often reveal himself to us in the same way he revealed himself to Isaiah. You see, in one moment, he reveals all of himself to Isaiah, exposing all of his corruption, and Isaiah is broken. God often gives it to us in small little doses. Let me tell you the best illustration I've ever experienced to this. I was a youth pastor for about 13 years. And I remember one time I was preaching a sermon and when I got done, I found out that one of the students was mad at me. He was really upset and I heard from other students that he was really, really worked up and upset with me. So I reached out to him and I sat down with him and I said, hey man, let's talk this out. What's going on? What, what did I say that upset you? And he said, I feel like you were talking directly to me. He said, you were talking about my sexual purity when you were up there. I thought back to the message. <laughs> I said, we didn't even talk about sexual purity in that message. Not only that, but I have no idea what you're doing in your free time. I said, that wasn't me talking to you, that was God talking to you. That was God speaking into your life. That was God bringing about conviction over your actions. Listen, when he came to that place, for whatever reason, God chose to show up and standing in God's presence, loaded his conscience with the weight of his guilt. He'll do the same thing for us. See, oftentimes what we want as believers is we want to experience God's goodness and bypass the guilt. But listen, guilt is the tunnel through which we experience God because we've got to first recognize that we have fallen short, that we have messed up, that we are not worthy, that we are completely at the mercy of his love and his grace. You see, we've got to recognize in the presence of God that our heart is an issue that no amount of effort can make us worthy, that no amount of spiritual disciplines, there's not enough church services, there is nothing we can do to clean up our lives on our own. We need him to do something for us. And that's how the story continues. Look with me in verses six and seven. This is how the angels respond to Isaiah's words of, of being ruined in the presence of God. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Listen, this must have been a painful experience. 
Your lips are very sensitive. Have you ever had a hot pocket? Okay, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But yet in this passage, Isaiah never talks about the pain. He never talks about that part of the experience. It's almost as if it didn't even compare to the weight of his sin or the goodness of the cleansing. See, let me tell you about the formula that was in place during this time. You see, during this time, the formula was if you touch something impure, you became impure. You couldn't come to worship. You couldn't experience God because you had touched animals, certain animals or animal carcasses. You had touched human bones, bodily discharges, people with certain diseases and more. That's the formula. You come in contact with one of these things, you are unclean and you have to go through a purifying ritual to stand in the presence of God again. But here we see something different. You see here, all of a sudden, the formula has changed. It's not that Isaiah touched something unclean and it made him unclean. It's that something clean touched him and it made him clean. It purified him. Listen, this was strange. This was abnormal. This is something that they did not understand, but it was foreshadowing something powerful that was coming. You see, it was talking about Jesus Christ because Jesus was coming. Jesus was gonna walk on this earth. He was gonna touch things that were impure, but he wasn't gonna be contaminated by their lack of purity. Instead, his purity was gonna be revealed and shared with the people that he came in contact with. Listen, the second truth we learn from this passage is simply this, holiness transfers. Holiness transfers. You see, God doesn't leave us in a place of depravity and guilt He doesn't provide us with holiness because he has to. He doesn't do it because it's the rule. He does it because he loves us and he chooses to let it happen in that way. We are undone. We are ruined in his presence, but he restores us by his own efforts. You see, we've already talked about it. There's no way for us to perform our way into God's good graces. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't matter if you wake up at 5 a.m. to read your Bible every single day. That's not enough. It doesn't matter if you come to church every single week and pour your heart out to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do, you need Jesus. And his love is gonna transfer to you the moment that you call on his name and surrender your life to him. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he says it this way. He says, holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Christ is the way to holiness. You see, holiness happens when God proclaims, not when a person performs. Our holiness is God's gift to us, not our gift to him. Holiness is received, it's not achieved. Let me tell you about one of the worst good ideas my wife ever had. My kids had nightmares and it became a real problem because we weren't sleeping. We didn't sleep for a long period of time. And so she decided that she was gonna come up with an invention called good dream dust. This good dream dust was gonna be sprinkled over our children and they weren't gonna have bad dreams anymore. And it worked. Our kids stopped having bad dreams. It was incredible. The reason it was a bad idea is because she used glitter to make this happen. I can't begin to tell you how horrible that was of an experience. We've left that season behind and we won't go back, okay? There is no glitter in my house from this day forward. But every night we would sprinkle some glitter on our children. And you know what happened when we did that? That glitter multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It spread and touched things we didn't even know we touched. It went absolutely everywhere. It impacted my entire house. Let me tell you something. When you call on the name of Jesus, that's how holiness works. 
It is an eternally multiplying gift that is transferred from a holy God to an unholy people. You see, that spreads. It touches every area of our lives. It impacts us in a powerful way. It transfers and covers our sin and our shame so that we can be alive and clean and holy in the presence of God. Let me tell you, this simple truth will transform how we view our relationship with God and our relationship with others. You see, it impacts the way we do evangelism. You know what evangelism is? It's sharing God's love with other people. You see, a lot of times when we approach this idea of sharing God's love, we do it from a place of worth. You see, we are worthy. We are Christians. We are the hierarchy. We are at the top. And we've got to share it with the lowly people who don't know Jesus. But that's not what evangelism is. See, evangelism isn't about my worth and your depravity. It's about our equal depravity. And all of a sudden, we approach it from a perspective of I'm one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's what evangelism is. It's recognizing that God's love has transferred to me and I wanna share that so it can transfer to them as well. This also means that God's love doesn't change with our actions. You see, God's love is not a roller coaster that goes up and downs. I can't fall in and out of God's graces. If I have turned to Jesus, he has already lavished me with an eternally multiplying amount of grace that's transferred to me and changing my life in the good days and the bad days. No matter what, I am in the arms of Jesus and he loves me and that fact changes the way I live my life. Listen, are you still trying to earn something from God? It's not gonna work. Our job is to surrender our lives to him, to call out to him and let him do a miracle inside each and every one of us. Let's finish the story out. Verse eight is what it says. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. You see, Isaiah is at a point where he has seen the glory of God. He's heard the angel song. He's felt the cleansing power. But now for the first time, he hears the voice of God. And in response to God's voice, this is how Isaiah responds. He says, yes, sir, whatever you want. Here am I. Yes, sir, whatever you want. You see, the rest of this passage, it reveals something. It reveals that Isaiah believed the people that God was sending him to were not gonna listen to his message. It reveals that he was operating under the foregone conclusion that he was not going to be successful in this trip, that God was gonna destroy Judah. He was gonna wipe them out and his contribution wasn't going to matter one bit. But still he volunteered to go. Still he surrendered his life in obedience to God's desires. Here's the final lesson from this passage. Holiness transforms. Holiness transforms. You see, through grace, Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. Instead, he's transformed by it. God took a shattered man and sent him back into the world with a purpose. He took a sinful man, he made him a prophet. He took a man with a dirty mouth and he made him God's spokesman. And this kind of transformation can only happen when God is at the wheel. Let me tell you something, folks. I struggled with this message. I struggled with this message for a long time. I even pulled up other sermons to watch about holiness so that I could kind of wrap my head around what God was wanting to say. But every message that I watched, every book that I read, it talked about how it's our job to pursue holiness, to make ourselves worthy to stand in the presence of Jesus. That's not how it works. We don't change to earn anything from God. We change because of what God has done for us. 
You see, listen, there is moral behavior. There are good choices that we need to make. God wants us to strive to become more holy in our lives but we're not gonna get there to earn anything. We're gonna get there because we see what God has done and we change as a result. Listen, that's the formula. That's how things work. And that's what you and I have got to strive for. You see, once we taste his love, once we experience his grace, we reach a point where we say, how could I possibly live with those priorities anymore now that I know what he's done for me? How can I possibly live with those choices anymore? How could I live with those actions? Because I wanna surrender my life to Jesus and experience more of his goodness in my life. Listen, when we put ourselves in God's presence on a daily basis, regularly standing in the presence of him, man, it's gonna challenge us to begin living our lives differently. That's where holiness comes into the equation. Listen, we are God's toothbrush. We are holy and set apart, cleansed for a purpose. My goal today is just that you would feel the weight of your guilt in the presence of a holy God, that you would experience the cleansing power that comes from his love, and that you would leave this place transformed by that. Every single day, I hope it's every day, when you brush your teeth this week, maybe even multiple times a day, I want you to think about this. I want you to remember that you are holy and set apart by God. I want you to look at your life and your relationship with him through that lens and let it change you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you don't keep record of our sins, our shortcomings. God, if you kept record of all the things that we've done wrong, there's no way I would ever be standing on this stage. But God, your love covers all of that. Your grace overcomes all of that and you allow us to be used. You allow us to stand in your presence. You allow us to have a relationship with you, to talk to you like we're doing right now. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you don't only have holiness, but God, that you share it with us. You make us right. You fix us. You repair what's broken and you love us unconditionally. Lord, I pray that every person in this room experiences that today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, we're gonna have some people up here at the front. Love to pray with you. But like Mike said, we also know that there's a lot of hurt in the room today. Listen, we're a church family and you need to know there's a lot of our church family that's hurting today. We've had four funerals from last week into this week. We got one here today. There's, there's a lot going on with people in our family. So we want you to know the altars are open too. We got some benches on each side. You can come and pray. Somebody's gonna come put their arm on your back and pray for you as well so that God's strength will show up in your life and help you overcome whatever circumstances are surrounding your life. No matter what God leads you to do in these next few moments, I want you to hear the words of the song. I want you to sing them with all your heart, knowing that he is holy and he has made you holy. Y'all stand up. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.